We'll be reading in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, the end of the chapter. As you're the last of your finding that text, uh, just a, a, a few commercials. Number one, you know, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and you might be thinking, what in the world is this season of Advent? Advent just means coming, the coming. It's, uh, it's from the Latin, Adventus. And um, it's a season in which we remind ourselves that Christmas is not yet here, and we prepare ourselves to celebrate Christ's first coming into the world. But it's also a season that we look forward to His return, His second advent, His return to come and put the world back together and to make all wrongs right. And so it's a season that the church has, throughout history, throughout its history, has, uh, has used to prepare itself. It has been a season of... of um, celebration, but also a season of repentance and a season to, to do good for our neighbor. Um, that's where the exchanging of gifts and stockings and all that sort of stuff comes from, from uh, um, in the life of the church. And so this is a season where we prepare ourselves, and it's a season where we really ought to kind of slow down a bit. And you might be thinking, well, Adam, it's the second Sunday of Advent. I missed the first one, and you know I, I'm already off to a far too busy start, what do I do? Well, a couple of things that I want to mention to you. Number one is, free of any charge at all, you can go to our church website and we've provided a simple guide to the holy days. You know, we, we get all up in arms about people calling them holidays. These are holy days. These are days that God has given to His people uh, to be special seasons in the life of His people. And so if you go to our website, faithmethodistchurch.org, you can click on Helpful Resources. The simple guide is there. It's, it's easy, easy, short readings. They're passages of Scripture and that sort of thing. And you can download them. You can uh, use them. You can share them with your friends via Facebook or Twitter or what have you. But uh, I want to make you aware of that. You can catch up very quickly. It wouldn't take you probably 15 minutes to read what's already been posted and get caught, caught back up. Uh, but a, a special guide for this week is already online. Uh, if you want to challenge me, you can look it up on your phone. It's already there and ready for you. Um, but then also I want to encourage you, if, uh, if you think, well, thanks, that, but that's not enough. I want to do something more. I'd like to do more. I'll encourage you to, to, to get a book that's specifically about Advent, a book that's specifically about the Christmas time. There are a number that I would recommend. One I've got here with me, it's titled, And Jesus Will Be Born. It's by a British guy named Adrian Plass. He's an older, uh, an older guy. Uh, his kids are all grown up and moved off and that sort of thing. But uh, it's, it's filled with poems and stories and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's nice. Um, there's another one by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that, uh, that I picked up last year. I think I've seen Catherine post about it on Facebook uh, or on Goodreads. It's titled God in the Manger, and it's a very uh, simple book to get through, and it's really helpful as we prepare during this, during this season. Uh, there's another one. It's called Not Yet Christmas, and it's written by a guy named J.D. Walt, who I will be referencing a little bit later in the sermon, and uh, he's a part, of, um, he's a part of, of, of our type of people, and um, it's, a, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, I actually got a... a, a a free pre-copy uh, before it was released uh, a couple of months ago so that I could take a look at it. Um, and it's helpful. And it's, it's broke, set up a little bit differently. It just walks you through the days of December. And, um, you know, yeah, it's already this, the seventh day, 
but you can catch up very quickly. Each each day is just a page. Um, and if you want to know how to find that, you should be able to just find it online. But if you need my help, let me know. But those are commercials that in no way benefit me whatsoever. But I do want to encourage you. Uh, some of us already feel like, man, it's the second week. I don't even know what this Advent thing is about. And I, you know, I, I'm too far out in the game to, to start now. No, you're not. You can either catch up quickly or you can, uh, you can just start here and, and move forward. But I do want this season to be a season of blessing. Uh, for you and your families as we prepare for the holy days, the, the days of Christmas and beyond, and, um, and also as we prepare for our Lord's return. Because He is coming again, and uh, he, he longs for us to be watching and waiting, to be praying, and to be um, looking to Him as our hope. Alright, commercials are done, and um, we will get on to the reading of Scripture. Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. The word of our Lord says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so, it was, so all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they shall call him Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins. That we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, both now and forever. Amen. If you have seen the title of the sermon in your bulletin, you might have noticed that it could be read with an emphasis on any number of parts and it could kind of bring about a different meaning. Simply read, it's just acting like we believe in Christmas. You might be wondering, well, is he planning on preaching on acting as if we believe in Christmas? Perhaps. Is he planning on preaching on acting in accordance to our belief in Christmas? Slightly different. Or maybe you're thinking, ah, oh, no, he's, he's preaching on acting in either of these two ways, particularly during Christmas time, perhaps even while it's still Advent. 
what we have here is a failure to communicate. What do you mean, Pastor? Acting as if we believe in Christmas? Acting in such a way that reflects our belief in Christmas? What is it? Is there something special about this time that ought to be affecting how we act because of what we believe? You'll notice... In the passage we read this morning, there's something that is paralleled with the passage we read last week from Luke chapter 1. It's not the angel because last week we know it was the angel Gabriel. Matthew doesn't tell us the name of this angel. Perhaps it was Gabriel. Perhaps it was some other angel. Oh, it wasn't the angel. Obviously it wasn't Mary or Joseph. Last week's passage focused on the, the angel's appearance to Mary. The passage was all about her and the child she was to bear. This week, the passage is about Joseph, the child he is to name. Give the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So it's not the angel, it's not the characters at play. Obviously, both are about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the Redeemer of all mankind. But there's something else, some small detail that you might have overlooked. In both, the angel says, fear not. Which is very, very interesting. And ought to be very, very telling to us. Fear not. Mary was not afraid because the angel showed up. It seemed like an everyday normal occurrence in her life. She's not startled that suddenly there's an angel. I don't know about you, I'd probably be kind of intimidated. We don't live with the mindset that there are angels all around us and that they sometimes walk into our lives as messengers of God. That wouldn't have been the reason for Mary's fear. That wouldn't have been the reason for Joseph's fear. He's dreaming. Fear not. I think the source of the fear that the angel knows is potential is the purpose of his coming. The announcement that he's making to Mary, to Joseph. The Messiah is to be born in your family. The Son of God is coming. On the one hand, that's reason to be fearful. You know, normally when we think about the return of Jesus, we're filled with fright and, you know, we try to scare people into praying prayers and, you know, show them blood and gore and violence and tell them it's going to be a horrible thing and you better get yourself ready or it's going to be really bad news for you. God says, fear not. 
Fear not. The birth of Jesus into the world was cause for all sorts of alarm. You catch that when you hear of Herod the Great, the king that has been put at post by the Roman authorities in Israel. He starts killing children to try to extinguish the life of this king of Israel. Joseph's been told by his fiancée that she's going to have a baby. And it ain't his. Joseph knows that he's got some decisions to make. What do I do? How do I react to this? Do I trust her and risk being the fool? Fear not. Fear not what the world thinks of you. Fear not what your community, what your neighbors think of you. Fear not. I love what the passage says about Joseph. You, you can read an awful lot out of, into his character out of his reactions. His reaction is not to have his wife killed for betrayal. His actions are not to publicly shame her so that he can, you know, be the one who did the right thing. Even before the angel comes, Joseph is mindful, that's an important word, he is mindful to deal with her privately, to protect her. Watch over her. I'm growingly, increasingly, growing increasingly convinced that Advent is about the way we think. Because the way we think is about how we order our lives. And it's a season that when we get to it, we are shouted at to put on the brakes, to slow down, to reprioritize a bit, we start thinking about the poor. We start thinking about those who are in need. We start thinking about the homeless and thinking of ways, what can we do to help? We start thinking about children who are without and families who are in need. We start thinking differently. Joseph was mindful. He was thinking a certain way. I think Joseph was, in some measure, sharing the mind of Christ. He was thinking the way God thinks, he was thinking of others. How do my actions harm them or help them? How does my attitude harm others or help others? How do the the ways that I treat them, the words that I use, the voice 
with which I speak those words, does it help? Does it harm? See, the way of the world is very self-centered. It doesn't matter how my actions affect others. It doesn't matter how my words hurt others or lift up others. That's all kind of on the periphery. What matters is whether I'm happy, whether I'm healthy, whether I'm successful, whether I'm doing well, whether I'm comfortable and safe. See, virtue calls us to get beyond ourselves. The kids asked uh, Lindsay and me the other night, what is courage? They, you know, I think deep down in their guts they know what it is. They, they've seen it. They felt it. But what does it mean? You know, courage is not about things coming easy to you. It's about doing the right and the good thing, even when it's fearful, even when there's possibility of disaster, even when it hurts. That's courage. The virtues are all about getting us beyond ourselves to do that which is true, good, and beautiful. We typically associate Christmas with this sense of magic. Not, not, you know, in a pagan way. But, you know, we talk about the magic of Christmas. And magical feeling. Those, you know, tears that start welling up when you hear certain songs. And those smiles that you see when you're driving through a, a, a neighborhood that's pitch black dark at 5.30 at night looking at all the lights. You know, we think of it as a magical season. I had thought in um, writing this sermon about, you know, what kind of title do you, do you give it? And one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the short list options was, May Your Days Be Merry and Bright, you know, from the song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. But then I thought, no, that doesn't really capture it all. Because I don't think this season of Advent is just about us putting a smile on our faces. I don't think this season of Advent is just about us thinking life's good and happy. Because it's in this season that God tells us, fear not. Because there is reason to fear. Too often we find ourselves as Christians embroiled in this culture wars battle and we hear about it all over the news and we listen to it uh, you know all over on talk radio and we get so fume and angry and we think man yeah it's us versus them and society's going to hell in a handbasket and this world's going to kaput and normally we then kind of pull the Jesus card out at that point we play that Jesus card as kind of a weapon Jesus is going to come back and he's going to wipe those punks out I, I don't even know what movie originally the, the line was from, but I remember in, uh, in one of the traditional Christmas movies for my generation, um, Home Alone, you remember when, uh, when the, the, the thieves are coming to the door and everything and he's got the, the movie lined up ready and the, the gun starts going off, the Tommy gun, and then when it's all over and the dust is settling and the smoke's still billowing from the barrel, he says, keep the change, you filthy animal. Yeah, that's typically our attitude during Christmas. 
Don't lie. You're in God's house. You could confess it just like I can. We sometimes, as Christian people, have the sourest of attitudes during this season. We really do. And that is shameful. How not to act. If we're going to act like we believe in Christmas, then first of all, we probably need to just evaluate how we ought not to act. I'm using uh, loaded terms here. You know, for several months I was talking about pagans all the time. This time I'm going to throw out that word heathen. We ought not act like the heathens. That may be an archaic term to us. That may sound like a, a slur, a derogatory term. But the heathens, those, those who don't know the hope of God, those who don't know the joy of Christ, we ought not act like them. We ought not act, as Paul said, concerning death. Look, I don't want you to mourn like those who don't have hope. I think Advent tells us, I don't want you to act like those who don't know what Christmas is all about. You know, when we think of the works of the flesh, which is a, a term that Paul uses, we normally think, think of bad things we do with our bodies. And he includes those. But among those works of the flesh that we normally think, oh, we can keep that in check, are things like this. Wrath. Vengeance. Spite. Bitterness. Envy. That one sometimes well sometimes wells up during this season. We're buying gifts and we can't quite get what the others are getting. Rudeness. Notice in Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he's in that chapter on love, and love is this, and love is that. It's patient, it's kind, it's gentle, it, all those things. He includes it is not rude. Vanity. We see someone writes Xmas on their status update and we get up in arms because we think they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. Just a little historical aside. X is actually an ancient early, early, early church representation of Christ. It's the first letter of his name in Greek. You know, in the Old Testament, they they thought of Yahweh's name as being so holy, they wouldn't write it or speak it. We don't even know how it's pronounced today. The greatest of Old Testament scholars, Dr. Oswald included, will admit the pronunciation of the name Yahweh is a bit fuzzy. Because they thought of it as so sacred and so holy, they dared not use it. They used a more casual term, Adonai, Lord. The early church often spoke of Christ using the letter X, the key. Not like a door key, but key, C-H-I, key.
We get ticked off because the box containing the fake tree we're buying says a holiday tree. And we think, this isn't a holiday tree, this is a Christmas tree. Everybody knows that. My pagan neighbors know this is a Christmas tree. You've said those things. Confess it. We get ticked off one way or the other about Santa, whether or not he's allowed outside a store, ringing bells. And we start boycotting businesses that say, no, we're not going to have the bell ringers for the Salvation Army. I happen to like them. I happen to give to them. I, I left my wallet in the buggy or something at Kroger the other day and the next day realized, I don't have my wallet, honey. This is a problem. And every bit of cash that was in it was taken out. But someone did think kindly enough to turn the wallet back in. You know, the frustrating thing is that cash was in there not for me to spend, but I, it was piles of ones that I was giving to Emory and Imogene. They were tucking them into the bell ringers, little cans. Man, punk didn't steal my money. He stole money from kids that were benefiting from the Salvation Army. But we get so ticked off and fired up about whether or not there's a Santa outside the store, whether or not we're calling a tree a Christmas tree or a holiday tree, whether or not lights that we hang up and we know that we hang them up for Christmas are holiday lights or Christmas lights. We turn this season into a season of boycotts and bad attitudes. Shame on us. We have become a bunch of Scrooges. The only thing we're lacking are the piles of cash. Because it was stolen out of our wallet. I didn't have piles of cash. <laughs> you know, the, the amazing thing about Ebenezer Scrooge and you know, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, the kids were watching uh, the, uh, the Muppets, Jim Henson's Muppets. Uh, rendition of Christmas Carol this week. And the thing that I think struck them the most was when Scrooge, when the, uh, the, the ghost of Christmas present comes to him, and we don't like that word ghost either. We think there's some boogie term, to, like what are people trying to get us to say the Holy Ghost? We get fired up about that. It's the English term ghost or spirit came from German, Geist. And so, you know, Charles Dickens was a, was a British, he knew the word ghost. He didn't have an English term for spirit. When the ghost of Christmas present comes to Scrooge and he takes him to see what's going on, the saddest, saddest story, beside Tiny Tim, that's pretty sad, is when Scrooge realizes how his co-workers, his employees, how people throughout the town are talking about him. And even when he realizes that he has died, how people are remembering him. How do people talk about us? Man, that Godbold guy, he's, he's a jerk to be around. Man, he gets... So angry. Blake saying, Amen. Nodding his head. 
You know, I don't think we have enough purple during Advent. Some of you looked immediately over, you see the purple. We're lighting three purple candles. We lit one last week. Lake did a fantastic job of lighting another one this week. We forget as the church that the color of Advent is purple. To remind us to be humble. For the King is coming. To remind us to be on our knees in repentance. For the King is coming. I mentioned J.D. Walt earlier during my commercials on books that I get no royalties for. I was watching a video that uh, he put out this week. One of the things he said, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. He's talking about this idea that you know we are surrounded by people who celebrate Christmas and have no earthly idea what Christmas means. Sometimes we get angry about it. Sometimes we try to fight and go to battle and try to tell them that doesn't mean what you think it means and we you know get that sour attitude. But he says, yeah, we're surrounded by a church by by a culture that is inundated with Christmas and has no earthly idea what Christmas is even all about. And then he said the culture will rediscover the meaning of Christmas when the church rediscovers the season of Advent. I don't think we need to take back Christmas. I think we ought to be gracious and grateful to God that our culture even knows the term Christmas. We ought to rediscover Advent. We ought to rediscover what it is to prepare ourselves for Christ. It's then that we can perhaps say, yeah, that that Christmas business, you, you know a good bit about it. Let me show you the love that came at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, is about the cure of all that ails us. And one of the things that ails us is the way we act. Our attitudes. Sheesh, back off, Pastor. Give me something good to hear. Okay, how we ought to act. We ought to act like kingdom people. Like people who are longing for God's kingdom to come and people who are living even now in the reality that His kingdom has come in His church. Christ came preaching the kingdom. Not, hey, you better get ready because it's coming, but hey, you better better get ready because it's here. We ought to act like people inhabitants of the kingdom what that means is we ought to act like we're in accord with the king Jesus was angry with the church he never was fuming mad at those outside the church 
What does it mean to act like kingdom people? Well, it means to realize in our lives what Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. You remember, you might even have the tune in your head to it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how we ought to act. Paul says that against these there is no law. You know, normally when we think how we ought to act, we think, man, he's going to get into this checklist of things I ought to be doing and things ought not to be doing and that sort of thing. Paul says if you allow the fruit of God's Spirit to take up residence in your life, if His roots get down and He starts bearing fruit in your life, there won't even be a need for you to worry about the law and what am I supposed to not do and what am I supposed to do. You're supposed to love. You're supposed to have joy. You're supposed to have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's one that our culture knows hardly anything about. Faithfulness, even when it hurts and even when it costs us. Gentleness. Not people of wrath and quick to anger. Self-control. A bit of temperance. We ought to see this season not as a time to roll up our sleeves and start beating up on our neighbors. Not as a time to smart off to the cashier who wishes us happy holidays. I see this as a season in which we can humbly come before God and say, Lord, I want to be a gracious person. I want to be a generous person. I want to be kind. I want to show love. I don't want to just be happy, merry, and bright. I want to have the joy of Christ in my heart. What in the world does all this have to do with preparation, you might be thinking? Preparation is about getting ready. Okay, well you're talking about attitudes and behavioral stuff. What does that have to do with getting ready? Well, the fact is, we live in this world. The fact is, you live in your neighborhoods. The fact is, you're going to have that cashier who says, Happy Holidays. Our response ought not be, Merry Christmas to you and keep the change, you filthy animal. Because I can't give it to the bell ringer because y'all won't let him be outside the store anyhow. That ought not be how we interact with the world. This is a season in which we prepare. Because when we go out those doors, we're going to be surrounded by people who know all about Christmas and know nothing about Christmas. People who know all about Jesus and don't know the first thing about Him.
is a time that the church throughout history has seen as a time of repentance. Confession of sins, but also a change of heart. Because repentance is not just a listing of the things we've done wrong. It's about eyeing down what we've done wrong and changing our minds about them. I will not be that. I will not become that. I will not fall back into that. Just as Ebenezer Scrooge did, we might have the need to say, Spirit, notice he talking to the ghost, Spirit, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the type of person that leaves that type of taste in somebody's mouth, leaves that type of memory in people's minds. Someone once noted that the greatest sermon that will ever be preached is the memory that we leave in people's minds at our death. It was that that woke up Ebenezer Scrooge. And it is that memory that gives to us the days of the saints. You know, you think of, uh, you think of over in March as St. Patrick's Day and you wear your green so that you don't get pinched. That was the day of his death. Yesterday was the feast day of St. Nicholas. Traditionally, that's when you do your stockings or put out your shoes so that coins can be put in them because that was the day of Nicholas's death. It's the day of their deaths that we remember the saints. Because of the holy lives that they lived, because of the way they loved people, because of the good that they did, the legacy that they left. Yesterday, as we remembered Nicholas, we remembered not some fat and jolly old man with a long beard. He probably did have a long beard, but we remember someone who stood for truth for one thing, but also one who cared for the poor. One who was a blessing to children. One who gave gifts. One who gave of himself and gave of his wealth. And one who did it secretly. You know, we think of him crawling down the chimney. Originally, the story was he'd crawl through windows and would leave little bags of money, a little bag of loot for those in need. What is the legacy that we're leaving? Because perhaps the greatest opportunity but also perhaps the greatest danger that the church has is this season 
where everything is fast, where everything is busy, where everything is expensive, where everything is crowded, where everything is either freezing cold or burning up hot, where all the family is at the table, when the cookies are burning, This is a time of year that brings a lot of anxiety. And the messenger from God says, Fear not. He doesn't just say, Turn that frown upside down. He says, Act as though you believe in Christmas. Because the world is watching. Let's pray.